welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, world-renowned psychologist Peter Quarry joins us to discuss his latest book, If I Were You. In this fascinating and original book, Peter Quarry skillfully deconstructs his own life, showing how you too can unpack and reboot yours. As sex and drug-addicted Pete, he describes his sometimes shocking, always colourful background. Then, as internationally recognised psychologist PQ, he analyses it with compassionate yet clinical objectivity. The result is a work of insight and practical wisdom. In putting himself on his own couch, Corey will inspire you to reflect on your life's journey and give you a toolkit to confront the curveballs inevitably heading your way. And now, here's the host of the event, Readings Programming Manager, Christine Gordon. So, we're here with this group of like-minded people. We need to take some time out of our day, though, don't we, to just acknowledge that wherever we're coming in from, wherever we've been to today, wherever it is in Australia, we're on land that's not ours, we're on land that's not been ceded. And it seems to me, given that we are in this community of readers and thinkers, that in 2022 it's our turn to actually make some sort of commitment to those First Nations people. And that commitment surely should be that we will, in fact, listen, that we will, in fact, read the stories and the poetry of the First Nations people. And not only will we do that, but we will share those stories with people that we know. So on behalf of all of you here, I want to say welcome on behalf of Hardy Grant, Welcome on behalf of the First Nations people. Welcome on behalf of Peter. And I am delighted to be here. What a treat that we have for you here tonight. We're here talking to Peter Quarry. He's known around the traps in over 20 different countries, in fact, for his work on the couch, for his type of work that can make us all understand who we are. He's written a book. It's been published by Hardy Grant. He's been spruiking it for a little while. But the very first question that I want to ask you, Peter, is why write this book now? I think it's a very good idea at some stage of your life, once, maybe twice, to take a step back and to review your life. And I think it's a really good idea to do it maybe in your 40s. Certainly, if you haven't done it before, it's a really good idea to do it in your 60s. And I started this book back in 2019, so just nearly three years ago. And I'd been doing a lot of thinking about my life and about the fact that I was kind of, you know, getting older. And I had been doing some reading about the psychology of ageing. And I came across the work of uh, an American psychologist called Victoria Howard. Mm -hmm. And she talked a lot about the importance of doing a life review. I kind of got interested in that because the sort of reading that I tend to do a lot of is of biographies and memoirs and autobiographies. I mean, I've always been fascinated with people's lives and what brings them to a particular point in their life. And, you know, if somebody's really successful, how does that relate to their early childhood? So I've always been interested in that issue. And a lot of the memoirs and biographies that I I have read tend to be very descriptive. So they'll say, well, you know, this happened and then this happened and this happened and so on. But they seem to lack the other side of the coin, which is the analysis, the the unpacking, the reviewing, the making sense of, the joining of the dots. 
And I thought to myself, a life review would be an opportunity to not just tell your story, but to also unpack it, to make sense of it, to, to analyse it, to, to, to investigate it. And I became quite interested in, in these two. And I thought to myself, what I do is an exercise for me. Why don't I do a life review for myself? Now, when I started, and this is God's truth, <laughs> I, 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 you don't believe me, I can see you're laughing, but I very consciously thought to myself, I do not want to write a book. I do not want to think about publishing. I do not want to have that commercial imperative straining down on me. And I just decided to start this life review process as an exercise for me. And it was fascinating. It was extraordinary. About two thirds of the way through, maybe three quarters of the way through, I looked at what I'd been writing and I thought to myself, I do want to share this with other people. I, I do believe that I've got something that I can offer other people that can help. So that's kind of when it, it turned from my own personal project into a, a book project. Okay, so this is interesting. There's a few things that I want to unpack in, in this sure. lovely answer that you've given. First of all, I mean, it's very clear to me when you read this book and when you look up someone like you, Peter, you know, when you Google someone like you, it's very clear that you have been obsessed with people's stories since the beginning of time. This is the makeup of you, Peter Quarry, that you are not only a storyteller, but you're a collector of stories. So I find that really interesting and I find it really interesting that the books that you read are people's stories and often I find some of those bios as being almost a bit list-like, you know, a bit like in 1953 I was born right. and then my mama was doing this and my That's papa right. was doing this, you know, that type of That's scenario. Right. But you, the collector of stories, the person that understands what it is to give another person's story away, decided not to use that format. Let's tell our audience the sort of the format that you did use, the way that you managed to sort of manipulate your story so that you could do both sides. What I wanted to do was really explain how to do this. So I wanted to give a methodology for how to do it. But then I wanted to demonstrate how to do it. And when you teach something, I mean, I've got over 35 years experience in adult education, teaching and imparting knowledge, mainly around psychological issues. When you teach something, you tend to explain it and then you demonstrate it. So I wanted to explain how to do it, but then I wanted to demonstrate it. And I demonstrate it by turning the review, if you like, onto myself. So I do a review of my own life. So I'm very much trying to do these two things, this sort of description of what happened, but then the unpacking. When I was kind of coming up with the idea, I had this insight. The device that I used was that I, in essence, separated myself into two beings. There's Pete, who's the kind of slightly wild, drug-addicted, sex-addicted, rebellious. Can I just say also very likeable? Oh. Very likeable. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I hope everyone else agrees. But, you know, that that's me. I mean, that's me. So that was, I, and I gave him the name Pete because that's what my friends call me. But then there's this other character who lives within me called PQ, and that was the, they're my initials, Peter Quarry, and that was the, the name that my colleagues used to call me at work. And he is the internationally known psychologist. He's won all the awards and blah, blah, blah. So the book is essentially 
a correspondence between these two parts of me. So Pete writes a letter to PQ, says, listen, I, I want to review my life. Can you help? PQ answers by saying, oh, that's an interesting. Why do you want to do that? And so the conversation goes. Now, where this idea came from of using these two characters is when I trained as a psychologist back in the 70s, we used to use a technique called the two-chair technique. So let's say, Christine, for example, let's say you were my client mm-hmm. and uh, let's say you came to me and one of the major issues you have is that you're in a relationship but you don't really know whether you want to stay or you want to go. So what I'd do is I'd set up two chairs in my office and I'd say to you, okay, when you're sitting in that chair, you're the you, you're the Christine that wants to stay and when you move over to that chair, you're the Christine who wants to go. Now go over and sit in that chair, the, the go chair, mm-hmm. and tell the stay chair why you want to go Mm -hmm. and what you do is you swap the people around from chair to chair and they end up having a conversation and it can be incredibly useful and illuminating in terms of bringing up what the issues are and also seeing who actually is the stronger character because that obviously indicates maybe which way you want to go so it was really stemming from that kind of experience of using those sort of techniques that this idea came to me and it made the writing a hell of a lot easier. But it certainly is a natural way of breaking up each point. But I do wonder, because you do sort of glide through your life and there's different sort of ups and downs as we've all had, so it's very nice to know that you, a man that's been thinking about the way that we live since, since I imagine, since you were young, very young, a teenager, I imagine, yeah. there you are, you know, not, not always, not always showing us the clear, clearest path, the Pete, the Pete fellow, the Pete sure. fellow's fallible. Did you make a list? How did you do it? How did you make your way through this review? Well, the technique that I suggest for how to do a life review starts with you breaking your life down into a number of what I call eras. And, and this so- is where the age 63 is important or not? Um, no, I mean, you could do this if you were 45. I mean, you might have fewer eras. I mean, obviously, the longer you've lived, the more life you've got to review. I mean, you know, just in a sense, this is a form of memoir. And it's very interesting. Apparently, Prince Harry is writing his memoirs. Mm. Now, I don't know. I think he's. I don't think that's right. I think you're much more interesting, actually. Well, thank you very much. I mean, apparently, Britney Spears is writing hers. I'm sure I'm more interesting than her. Yeah. But um, uh, so you you break your life down into a number of eras. Now, you can define an era in any way you like. could be your 20s it could be the time that you wore black glasses it could be the time that you were living with jack it could be the time that you were at university you define your eras however you like but the first thing is to break your life as you've lived it to date into those number of eras then what you do is you start with each era and you basically write out what happened now this is the kind of the memoir side of the point, if you will. In your book, this is Pete. This is Pete just sharing some of his inner inner secrets. Well, not all of them, I don't think, but certainly. Most of uh, them. I'm pretty honest. Some people might say brave, Peter. Well, I I did think a lot about whether to include a lot of the stories, particularly the drug and sex stories. But you know who I was very influenced by? Joan Rivers, the comedian who died a few years ago. Well, they, they did a documentary about her a few years ago, which was pretty warts and all. And I saw an interview with her a year or two later, and they said to her, the interviewer asked her, that was pretty warts and all. Her answer was, if you're going to do something like that, you've got to be honest, otherwise don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I took that advice to heart, mm-hmm. you know, either be honest or don't do it. And you It's know, almost I, I think, a question of integrity. 
it's about authenticity. And I mean, psychologists, you know, like to sort of pretend that they're behind this kind of veneer of perfection. Well, you know, we're human beings as well. We're screwed up as well. We've got our own issues. I wanted to be open about that. And, you know, it was also the subject matter of my life that I then wanted to review. So you write up each of the eras and then you unpack each one. And I give various Mm. techniques because the way you unpack is basically by asking questions. Mm. I mean, I had a very crazy childhood. My father Mm. died when I was three. My mother was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because she lived in Germany through the Second World War. And when he died, my mother couldn't decide whether to live in Australia or back in Europe. And so I spent most of my childhood travelling backwards and forwards. For a long time, a long, long time into my adulthood, I felt angry about that. You know, why me? Why did my father have to die? Why couldn't I have had a normal childhood with a mother and a father and a blah, blah, blah? As a result of doing this exercise, this life review, one of the questions that PQ poses to Pete is, is there another way that you can look at your childhood? And in fact, there is, and it's it's quite easy. And it's that, in fact, that crazy childhood developed in me two very important life skills, resilience, the ability to bounce back from adversity and adaptability. And those two skills have helped me immensely in my adult life. So that was one example of what's called narrative editing, changing the story you tell yourself. So do you think that that type of technique, though, Peter, only works with the grace of age in some ways? If you were doing a life review and you are perhaps in your your 20s, do we know that then? Do we know that resilience is something that is going to help us when we're 51? We don't know. I don't want to say to somebody who's 20, don't read the book and don't get something out of it. But as I said before, I think the older you are, the more life you've got. So, you know, really, you don't really want to be doing a life review earlier than your 40s. Now, I find that the younger people nowadays are very psychologically literate. You know, I mightn't have known what resilience and adaptability were. I mean, I did because I was a psychologist. But, you know, I'm amazed now how how much exposure young people have to these kinds of concepts. It's true, isn't it? My children who are in their 20s, they use words that I've really only started using myself <laughs> and that they're incredibly astute about concepts of wellness and holistic care and being mindful of needing, just needing a little bit of space now, Mum. And managing the boundaries, Mum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's an old favourite. But look, you know, the thing about unpacking your life, no matter which of the eras you're you're talking about, it's essentially about asking certain questions. And, you know, some of the questions are kind of broad questions like, well, how's my life going? What's going well? What's not going well? What do I want to change moving forward? And then there are kind of more specific questions that relate to particular stages of your life. I mean, if you're looking at your 20s, a lot of the questions that you might want to ask are about relationships that you've got into and, you know, your first loves and why do you tend to fall in love with the same person again and again and again. And, in fact, I heard a wonderful story, if I can just tell this. A woman I know who has read the book, she's my age, she was married, uh, had a couple of kids, divorced from her husband, you know, 25 years ago, and she's been in a relationship for about the last 10 years. They split up about a year or two ago. The reason they split up is that she wanted to buy a house with this guy and he was kind of fluffing around and, you know, he wanted to sell another property and there always seemed to be a reason why he wouldn't do it. And she finally spat the dummy because she felt that he really wasn't making a commitment to the relationship. Her fear kicked in and they ended up splitting up. 
and they hadn't spoken for about a year. Mm. As a result of reading the book, she remembered amazingly, I mean, she'd sort of forgotten that she remembered her first love right back in her early 20s, this guy who she was totally in love with, they were going to be together forever, and they were going to buy a house together. And for some reason, which I don't know, he completely cut the relationship off and split. And she, of mm. course, was quite traumatised. Now, you don't have to be a psychologist to join the dots there, but she was carrying that trauma and the equation in her head, buying a house with me equals commitment. And she carried that from her early 20s all the way through to her mid-60s. Mm. And the really lovely thing, and for me as the, the writer of the book, was was fantastic was that as a result of her realization of this she now realizes that she's been quite unreasonable in ending the relationship that buying a house does not equal commitment and in fact she's re-established contact with this person and let's see where it goes look at you sharing some love stories i mean in the back cover of your book you do have sort of three quite large questions that yeah. you're asking and and it stems from what you're just saying now so let's go through them one by one but I would like if this is okay with you at different times if you could give us an example of how sure. this has pertained to you how this has happened to you and if you can't remember one that you've written I'm going to remind you <laughs> or if you're not giving us a juicy one I'm going to remind you Ooh, I'm, I'm tempted to hear your your selection <laughs> So the very first question that you say, and I think that we're all like this, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Surely yeah. we wouldn't be here on this yeah. Zoom event or listening to this as a podcast or, yeah. or even picking up your book. The first question you ask you is, are you curious to make sense of your life? It was Socrates, I think, who famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And he'll be very happy to hear that I agree with him. I think it is an important thing to do. And I know this might sound pretentious. I don't care. I believe we almost have a moral responsibility to do it. The reason I say this is that we are the only entity in the known universe that is capable of this degree of reflection. You know, a giraffe in the zoo cannot say, well, you know, how, how's my life going? You know, a cup of tea can't think about why it's a cup of tea. But we human beings, because of our extraordinary cognitive abilities, we have what uh, I think Stephen Pinker called the ability to have thoughts about our thoughts. We are able to reflect on our lives. And, you know, just as Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, I say, we can, therefore we should. You know, we've got this ability, I think we should use it. The other reason why I think it's important is that there's there's lots of benefits. I mean, I've given you a couple of stories about, you know, making peace with the past. One extraordinary benefit of doing a life review, of doing this sort of exercise, is also getting to know yourself better. Because at the end of the day, you are your life. I mean, Chris, if you ask me, Peter, who are you? I'd say, well, I'm Peter, I'm married to Paul, I live in Calp, I've got a dog called Pixel, I'm a psycho. If you ask me, tell me about your life. I'd say, well, my name's Peter. I'm married to Paul. You know, I'd come up with the same answer. So learning about who you are, developing what we psychologists call insight or self-awareness is incredibly beneficial. I mean, it, it, let me let me just read out to you, if I may, from a, a, a book called Insight by an American psychologist called Tasha Urich. She talks about the evidence 
benefits of developing insight, of understanding who you are. She said there is strong evidence that people who know themselves and how others see them are happier, they make smarter decisions, they have better personal and professional relationships, they raise more mature children, they're smarter, superior students who choose better careers, they're more creative, more confident, better communicators, they're less aggressive, they're better performers at work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's a good idea. It's a really great idea. It might even be better than eating vegetables. It's a really great idea. <laughs> so there you are. When did you realise and why did you realise that at some point this kind of this idea of you becoming in your 60s, what was the catalyst for you to do this? As a psychologist, I've I've always been interested in this. I mean, I can remember back in the 70s when we started, I can remember going to a life planning workshop. We drew up a grid with different elements of our life, you know, finances, personal development, sport, money, career, and we'd have in the columns, you know, a year, three years, five years, 10 years, and you used to, we'd write in each of the little quadrants mm. things that we wanted to achieve. It's like a mood board, like what people do now, that sort of mood boards and things like that. So I've always been interested in life and how to make the most out of life. Mm. And planning life when you're thinking forward is, I think, a really important thing to do. But you need to review as well. And, you know, in a sense, you know, if, if you work in a company or what have you, every year you'll sit down with your boss and you'll do a performance review. Uh, well, this is kind of the same idea, except it's a life review and you're looking back over your life. But So there was nothing that triggered you to do it at this age? I'd sort of finished a project and I was thinking, what, what do I feel like doing now? And I travel a lot, or at least I used to pre-pandemic. And, you know, you meet people when you travel and they inevitably ask you questions about who are you and, you know, what do you do and where do you live? And I tell people my story and the number of times I've had people say to me, oh, you should write a book about your life. So I guess that was sort of in the back of my mind, but I thought I'm not famous enough. It needed a twist. And that's when I, I kind of came up with the idea of doing a life review. So really in the book, my life is only important insofar as it illustrates how to do a life review in and of itself. It's not a memoir. It's basically a self-help book. One of the other questions you ask is, do you need to make peace with the past yeah. and get re-energised about the future? Yeah. And I think this is really interesting given where everyone is at the moment, given that we've just gone through two years of the pandemic, yeah. Yeah. where people are now having to assess friendships and family yeah. and work structures. It seems to me that we're all now on some sort of world mass reflecting on what it is that we want to do next and how we want to define ourselves. Look, I think you're right. Uh, and I'd like to say that I was prescient, but in fact, I wasn't. I was just lucky that I started the book before the pandemic hit and all of a sudden people had all this time and obviously started doing some reflection. So in that sense, I was kind of just, I was just lucky. I think even though people have the time and maybe even the inclination, I don't know necessarily that they embrace the idea of doing a life review. And I think there are two particular barriers that a lot of people have. Mm. One is that I think a lot of people are scared to do it. Do I really want to ask myself the hard questions? Do I really want to face up to the fact that actually there are certain parts of my life that I'm not happy with? Mm. Because of course, if you acknowledge that, then the next question is, what do I do about it? And unfortunately, and I see this again and again and again, people would prefer the safety of being stuck in an unhappy situation 
to the uncertainty of change. So I think a lot of people avoid doing a life review because they, they, they don't really don't want to face up to it. I think another reason, though, why people don't do it is they don't know how to do it. I mean, they're interested in the idea, but they don't know how to. I mean, I'll give you an example. I know a, a chap who lives in um, Sydney. He's just been made partner of one of the top accounting firms. He, he works in artificial intelligence. Don't ask me exactly what he does because I don't understand. So he's just been made partner and he is now responsible for leading a team of, I think, 40 people. Now, they're telling him at his firm, they're saying, look, we need you to start reflecting a bit on how you come across as a leader. You know, are you motivating people? In fact, do you demotivate them? Start reflecting on your behaviour as a leader. And he said to me, I hope your book's going to help because I'm really interested in this, but I don't know how to do it. Mm. And I hope, I'd like to think that my book gives some tools, some practical tools that allow you to do that. I think it certainly does, Peter. It's beautifully written, actually. I found it very easy to read and it does make you go, as you say, perhaps through your chapters of your own life, I think. There's quite a bit in your younger years where you were out exploring everything that you possibly could because (laughs) for you, Peter, it seemed to be it's not enough just to gather other people's stories. You have to create your own. And I guess we all do this at some point and some of us hopefully is still continuing to do so. Yeah. Did you have any fear about putting in some of those juicy parts into your book or were you just going to go, you know what, I'm going to talk about the drugs, I'm going to talk about sex, I'm going to talk about failed relationships, I'm going for it? As I said before, I took Joan Rivers' advice. If you're going to do this sort of thing, you've got to do it fully. But also it seemed to me that if I wasn't honest with myself about what I'd done, about drugs that I'd taken, about sexual adventures of various sorts, what I was going to be reviewing was not the real thing. When, when I was trying to get it published, it, it was a challenge to get, get it published because it's my first book. I remember speaking with a publisher, a, a woman who worked in one of the large publishing firms. I mean, she declined to publish it. But what she said to me was that the book had a great authenticity to it. And it's the first time I'd actually really thought of that word in relation to it. And I was, I was very flattered. I was very, obviously, very, very pleased. And and I guess that comes through because, you know, I, I lay it out um, warts and all. Well, you can always tell, don't you think, when someone's lying or when someone's just skipping a little over over the truth? Well, well, yes. And I think that's particularly the case with psychologists who are dishing out information and dishing out advice. You know, and a lot of the kind of the gurus who write books and, you know, make videos and what have you, you know, they've always got the wonderful family and the wonderful partner mm. relationship. And that's not how life is, no. you know. So remember that I started off not wanting to write a book. I started off doing this exercise <laughs> for myself. When I then reread it, I thought, oh, should I take that out? Should I take that out? And I just thought, no, nah, bugger it, put it all in. You know, look, I'm at a certain age. You know, what, what's going to happen? People aren't going to like me. Okay, too bad. Oh, I think people would have already made up their minds, wouldn't they, by this stage? Let's talk about some of that. Like you do talk very fondly about sort of taking acid trips and the kind of the sort of the knowledge and the fun that you can gain from stepping out of your boundaries, if you like. Yeah, well, you know, mind you, it was the 70s, Christine. So, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, what's the old saying? If you if you can remember it, you weren't there or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, we we really pushed the boundaries. I mean, it was pre-AIDS. In terms of drugs and sex, you know, I did it all and I did it, you know, times a million. And I'm so glad I did it all. You know, it it was wonderful. I write about acid in in particular and I I actually try and describe my very first LSD trip, which was, I mean, literally, literally mind-boggling. 
And, and in fact, at the very end of the book, PQ asks Pete, in summary, okay, if you had to choose three top experiences of your life, what would they be? And the number one, I mean, in no particular order, I, I describe taking acid for the first time, which was, you know, you, you, like you saw the face of God. It was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I mention, I think, is, um, is getting married which as a gay man of my generation, I, I mean, if you told me in the 70s that I was going to get married, I mean, I would have said you dropped too much acid, Christine. So, you know. It's like that, that's happened. That was extraordinarily moving. And the, the third experience that I talk about, actually, that I describe is being on the set of Good Morning Australia because... For seven, you were there for quite some time, weren't you? You were there for like eight years or something. Seven, seven, right? seven years. Seven I was years. I was the resident psychologist with with dear old Bert Newton, who of course just passed away a few months mm-hmm. ago, and that was that was a, a terribly exciting experience because it was live television, live national television, and you got to understand. I when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor. That was really what I wanted to do. Well, I ended up being a psychologist. Okay, but to you know, it's like I I made the full circle, and when I used to sit on the set. Of Good Morning Australia in makeup with the lights, you know, five, four, three, going out live around the country. I felt that I was an actor playing a part of this guy who's a psychologist. So they were the three top experiences. That it's I so made. interesting, actually, that knowing of that television sort of experience that you have and the way that you write, Peter, because actually when you are writing, I guess this is why I keep using this theme of storytelling because each sort of letter to PQ from Pete is its own, even the very short ones, is its own little uh, its own little nugget of truth. It's its own little short story or its own little bit of verse. Yeah. And I imagine that's what you would have had to do on TV as well, on television. It's quick. You have to be your best. You have to be on point. You go. You Correct. know that people only remember three things. For about 25 years, in the middle of my career, I had a company with uh, my business partner, Eve Ash, and we produced corporate education videos. And that's where I really developed my reputation internationally because we sold them in 20 countries around the world. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, you know, for an Aussie company, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. And um, we learned very quickly that the maximum length of a video was 12 to 13 minutes because people's attention spans just drop off after a few minutes. So we learned and I learned how to kind of be concise and, and really kind of package things tightly. I mean, it was very interesting because a, a friend of mine who lives in Sydney, one of my oldest friends who actually appears in the book, who can't help himself, has always got to be critical. When I asked him what he thought of the book, he said, well, you know, you cover a lot of psychological theories and, you know, you cover an amazing theory in one paragraph, which really should have been a whole chapter. And I said, yes, that's the whole point. You know, I cover it in one paragraph so that we can go bang and then move on because you've got to keep things tight. I think that you do. We're nearly out of time. There's a couple of questions coming through from our audience. People are asking Do you find a place for childhood trauma when you start doing a live review? So do you find, do you find that it makes it easier to let go of grief that might have occurred in your childhood if you actually do find? Uh, well, the, the answer is yes. And it's not just my opinion. There's actually a quite a quite a body of psychological research that shows that when you write about your past, particularly about negative things that have happened in your past, like trauma, that this can have quite beneficial effects. 
And what's very interesting is that for a long time, the explanation that they gave for that is that, you know, it's great just getting it out and it's sort of like a cathartic experience and just getting it out on paper, that's where the benefit comes. In fact, they did some subsequent research where they looked at people who seemed to benefit most from writing out about their past. And they found that the people who got the most benefit their writing had certain expressions in it, things like, it now makes sense to me that. I can see that there is a pattern. When I join dot A and dot B, I understand blah, blah, blah. In other words, they have expressions and words in their writing which show that they're doing this processing that I was talking about before. They're doing this unpacking. They're making connections between. They're not just describing what happened, analysing it and unpacking it. So, yes, the answer is absolutely, definitely. But it helps if you do not just the description but also the unpacking, and that's that's precisely what my book's about. It's precisely what your book has done with your own life. Correct. Peter, we're nearly out of time, but I've got some questions that I want to ask. And this, is, this is quite a little challenge for you, actually. The sure. reason it's going to be a challenge is because I'm going to ask you to answer these questions with just one word. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's just see how we go because I think it's always important for our listeners to be able to know just a little bit more about you beyond your book. Sure. So I want to know, in the morning, are you taking tea or coffee? Coffee, but it's tea, yeah. Unbelievable. Look at you. In the evening, are you taking a beautiful vodka and tonic or are you taking a glass of red wine? Red wine. Uh, when you're reading, are you reading in bed or on the couch? On the couch. Are you reading in the morning or the night? Afternoon. Mm. Are you, for, <laughs> for exercise, are you swimming or are you walking? Both. Are you dancing or are you walking? Am I dancing or am I walking? Walking. When you listen to music, are you listening to current music or are you listening to classical? Both. I should warn you, I'm Libran, so, you know, there's always this kind of balance. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. By your bedside table, are there books, water and music? Books at a lamp and reading glasses. Yeah. Yeah. If you were taking drugs again, would you choose people to take... MDMA, or would you choose acid? Oh, uh, neither. Okay. Would you say that everyone at some point in their lives should go and see a therapist? Yes or no? Yes. Do you think the influence of your parents can be finally overcome? Yes. (laughs) Yeses. Okay, that's interesting. And what's the most important relationship in the end? Is it the one that you have with yourself or is it the one that you have with your partner or is it the one that you have with your friends? The one you have with yourself. Which leads us to if I were you because this is all about that. Thank you so much, Peter. I would love for you to just finish off this entire exercise of chatting to you by reading a little, and I know that you've picked out a couple of paragraphs, Um, just so that when people purchase this book, it often helps if they can hear the author's voice. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs. This particular section deals with how you can learn more about who you are. We talked about that, obviously, a very important part of, of this process. 
The challenging part of answering this question, however, is to zero in on the essence of who you are and not be distracted by the trivia. Day-to-day -day existence can often seem like a jumbled chaos of romantic loves, mistakes, triumphs, sensations, family ups and downs, problems, work, periods of growth, and so on. Now, you can list all of these experiences, but to really understand what's happened, just who the hell you are, you need to step back and see the broader, expansive view. Only then can you really see what you're looking for and experience your feelings about it. Think of the individual threads of a rug that are woven together. There are many threads of different colours, some of which move in one direction and some in others. If you look too closely at the warp and the weft, they can seem random and illogical. It's only by zooming out that you discern the rug's patterns and motifs that allow you to identify it as Afghan or Moroccan. It's the overall design of your life, the large markings and decorations, the lines and the swirls, the way the colours bounce off each other that we're trying to uncover here. Because that very design, in all its discrete, exquisite wonder, is you. That's all we have time for, Peter Quarry. I enjoyed talking to you so much. I enjoyed reading your book, If I Were You. And I want to thank you on behalf of everybody that's joined us for being so honest and so kind and actually quite fun. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Christine, to, for, a, for a very surprising uh, event. It's not at all how I pictured it was going to go, but it's been lots of fun. And I, I just want to thank everyone who's joined us as well, particularly given that it's Zoom. I mean, I know everyone must be sick and tired of Zoom, so the fact that you've done another Zoom tonight uh, means a lot to me. So thank you so much to everyone. Thank you to you. Good night, everybody. Do okay. keep reading. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast at our website. We also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film and TV. You can also sign up to e-news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, pay my earnest respects to elders past, present and emerging.